Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Bikini in the Brain. I am here with the lovely Ashley Delt Kaltwalser. Oh my gosh, you gave some striations to the delts already. You're scared right away, bro. You know, I got, I got a lot of delt compliments last weekend at the seminar. It made my delts blush a little bit. Yeah, are you feeling a little delt confident now? I mean, I trained them today, so they're, they're, a little pumped. they're pumped Okay, that's it. Start, I'm, I'm hoping for some delt confidence because of all the compliments you were getting. But we, uh, speaking of confidence, we are talking about, we are talking with the lovely Celeste Reigns Turk from Confessions of a Bikini Pro. How else do I introduce you, Celeste? Well, that's Amazing. a great introduction. <laughs> I think most people recognize me from Confessions of a Bikini yeah. Pro podcast, but also build more than just a body. And I'm a national certified counselor who helps competitors and non-competitors make peace with food, their body, and their goals without, of course, sacrificing their long-term journey in this sport. There Love you go. That. That's a Love much that. better intro. So she builds more than just a body <laughs> on the weekends. She builds houses, things like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we chose Celeste to join us for this topic because this is one of her areas that she really knows a lot about. And it's something that a lot of competitors deal with. So today we will be talking about post show blues. Womp, womp, womp. I feel like we need like an insert of a, like a blues song here yeah. that goes like something about like, I'm done with my show. <laughs> Got nowhere to go. <laughs> keep it going. Oh, no. you keep keep going. it going. Keep she it going. She said, oh no. Could you imagine I that? <laughs> I keep gaining this fat. I got the post show blues. <laughs> Dang it. And I don't know why. I guess I'll get on this podcast with Celeste and <laughs> learn how to try. <laughs> oh, okay. That is epic. You like that? Record you know, deal coming this, soon. Record deal. Hit me up. Let's make some of that Shoot. record money. Find them on Spotify. <laughs> you know, Spotify. What's what's the one you, that the the kids use these days that upload their music? It's I don't know. SoundCloud. 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 He's like a SoundCloud artist. You know what? I want to hear. So here, I want to talk about a real quick story of motivation and inspiration. You guys heard of Anthony Oliver? Have you heard of this guy? Is that okay. the country singer dude? Yeah, but he went from being like a no one, right? Nobody, not even in the industry, to recording a song on his phone. He uploaded it to YouTube, and then he just took the audio from that YouTube, uploaded it to like the music things, like whatever they are, SoundClouds or whatever those are. And he got to the number one, number one. He's instantly famous. Shoot, that's going to be you. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that a cool story though? It just shows like, like even in our sport or another thing, like you could just, as long as you're just always trying, like it, your mm -hmm. opportunity will come. I think that's just so cool to see. Like, that I love seeing cool. success stories like that. Like it makes me so happy to see them because he went from nothing to like Joe Rogan had him featured. He's just like instantly famous. Everyone wants to get a piece. It's like so cool to see. Very so cool. Very yeah. Cool. That's anyway. awesome. I like that story. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. So anyway, Celeste. So Celeste, post-show blues. What do you think is the main contributing factor to somebody getting those post-show blues? From a scientific or physiological perspective, I think it's strictly just a drop in a lot of those feel-good chemicals that are being reinforced and created over and over and over again in our pursuit of getting on stage. So if you think about it, when you're setting a goal to step on stage, you're instantly hit with some dopamine just at the thought of achieving that goal and going for it. And then over time, that increases as you continue to get positive results. Also, you add on top of that 
the impact of people cheering you on through social media or um, in your hometown or wherever you're at, at your gym even. So it just increases this reward center in your brain telling you this is really, really great. And then you have some other chemicals that play. So you have serotonin that's helping everything to feel very calm, even though you're pushing your limits. It's helping you to sustain this effort so you can actually endure a lot of those difficulties. And then you have something like norepinephrine, which is kind of helping you to get laser focused. That's when we feel like goggles are on. We're going in on this. We have that tunnel vision. That's all we're focused on. So what happens is then we reach the stage, right? We get on stage. It's everything we've been dreaming of, but it's just still not as intensive of a happy chemical in our brain or reaction as when we're working towards it, we actually are more rewarded by the pursuit than we are the achievement. Mm. So then afterwards, it's like, what am I going to focus on as Adam was thinking about? <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> I, really this <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was interesting what you said. It's like more satisfying sometimes like the actual journey itself rather than the placing. So when we say like enjoy the journey or embrace the journey it truly means like embrace it because that is where you're going to find most of your happiness from that yeah. is that is really cool and it's cool to kind of break it down in that sciencey way throwing out all these serotonins and stuff all these sciencey <laughs> words to break it down but yeah that is it's so true though it really is yeah so i think it's great and this is funny I, we actually went to a seminar this weekend in utah and we talked i talked about like reverse dieting and she talked about longevity in the sport um, and I was, and I was like, when I'm doing my talk, I want to, it's great to hear about the the science of it. Um, and I was like, I don't want to spend all my time talking about the science of this, of that, of this topic, but cause, cause it's, it's very, it's great to know it, but now how does it go to like applying? Right? Like that was like the big thing. How do you, we need to know why the why is there, but how, how do we get someone out of that funk? Like how does, how does one take that information and go to the next level with it? Because I've been through it too. I've been through the post-show blues. You just feel kind of you feel kind of lost. They're like aimless, right? You're just kind of going through the motions at that point. So what are you, what are we thinking? Like, what are some of the best things that you've seen with that? So I always think preventative first, whatever you can, like if you're not even going into your improvement season right now, or you're maybe even deep into your improvement season or your mid prep, you need to be thinking about these things early on. So the first thing I would recommend is to create process oriented goals versus product oriented goals. So when we create a process oriented goal, we don't become so fixated on the end result. When I have this, I'll feel this way. Once I do this, then this will happen. Instead, it becomes, I am going to feel amazing, be amazing, perform amazing because of how I show up every single day. So we wanna be focusing on the habits that are gonna be sustained over a long period of time more than we are on the result. Because as you preach, both of you, I think in a recent podcast as well, if you are only focused on doing these things for a show or for prep, it's not very rewarding in any way. We have to sustain these habits over a long period of time. So I think it's very important to set goals that are about what you do each day that are non-negotiables that can also be carried on into each season. And then when you are focused on those goals and you are executing day in and day out, instead of thinking about it, like I'm only doing this for the stage, I would actually recommend keeping an ongoing list in any season, an ongoing list of all the ways that these habits benefit your life outside of your physique or outside of stepping on stage. Because unfortunately, a lot of the times 
after the show, right? You're losing that motivation, that drive. You're kind of feeling down, don't want to do this. But if you have a reference list of all the ways this lifestyle makes you feel good outside of stepping on stage, you're going to challenge that perception that's being reinforced that this is for prep, for the show. And instead you're creating that perception that this is for much more than that. I like that. I like that a lot. I do too. I feel like, I I mean, I don't want to say go through like post-show blues necessarily, but that one year I did take my year off in 2017, which I regret doing. Um, I, I think for me, like I felt like I lost my sense of identity, if that makes sense. Um, so I'm not sure if it's necessarily the, the reinforcement from others, but more so I just felt like, who am I? I just, I don't know. Cause I'm always working towards something, whether it be like in, in, you know, college or in track. Um, and then I moved on to bikini, but my whole life I've like had something and I was somebody and known for that. But when I took my year off, I just felt so, I don't know, like my identity was stripped from me. What do you think about that? Is that something that you find is common amongst other competitors? If a lot of their focus and how they define themselves is rooted in the sport and the habits of the sport, then yes. But oftentimes when a majority of people aren't like you, honestly, where this is your life and you've been this athlete forever. (laughs) Um, so other people maybe are thinking about these other roles that they've always played. And sometimes they actually find competing to be a challenging force against those things. So we want to get them to be thinking more like this is part of my identity versus this is not, we want them to incorporate and integrate competing into their day-to-day identity. And in your case, or someone like you who really struggles after like, now, who am I now? What do I do? That's where we want to be drawing from almost like retirement principles. Obviously we're not actually retiring, but we're drawing on that to say, how else can I create purpose and meaning and drive and almost simulate what you get out of a prep in your improvement season life, or maybe that's, or your time off life where that's not as prominent of a focus. Mm -hmm. Okay. So question, when, when girls come to you complaining that they have like post-show blues or they're, maybe they don't even have a a name for it at that point, but we'll call it post-show blues. What, what effects do you, does that have on them? Cause I know obviously for competitors, food is a big thing and some can cope with food or other things, but what, what symptoms, I guess, would somebody have if they thought they were having the post-show blues? I love that question. So the first thing I would say you're going to notice if you're experiencing post-show blues is a little bit of a lack of meaning behind what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Maybe you feel like you're going through the motions. You're just doing it because you know you probably need to, or you're not doing it at all, but you're experiencing an immense amount of guilt and shame for not doing it. That's generally because your identity has been so rooted in execution that when you're no longer doing it, you feel like you're living out of alignment, meaning you're almost creating like cognitive dissonance, which is an uncomfortable place to be in. So we see a lot of the guilt, the shame, that apathy, not a lot of enjoyment or interest in what they're doing, just going through the motions. And then the behaviors start to spiral from there, generally speaking, because if this isn't right, if you're not in that focus zone of like, this is why I'm doing it and I want to be doing it and I'm feeling good about doing it, 
your behaviors start to be indicative of that. Maybe you stop checking in with your coach. That could be a big indicator. You guys just talked about that too, but you stop checking in with your coach. Maybe you actually stop measuring some of the food when you need to be, or you start getting lackadaisical with how you're working out at the gym. Maybe you even start isolating yourself. You don't post photos or you don't feel happy or proud of yourself. You're not celebrating any of the progress you've made or are making. So we see this this change in behavior from I'm hyped, I'm going for it, I'm after it too. Eh, I don't really see the purpose. This is really difficult. Everything becomes more difficult. That's something I see a lot with these girls too, is everything is more difficult. What was once easy to follow through on your plan, to go do all your cardio, to make sure that you're practicing posing every day is now a immense task for them versus something that they're excited about. I like what you just said, like the the tasks you could do, you could put the same amount of effort, whether you're in season or off season or whatever. Um, but if you're focused and you're in the zone, as we'll say it, like it it becomes easy. It's like easy. It's like the best pre-workout ever, but if your head is not in the game and you're having those post-show blues, it really does. It just feels like dragging, right? You're dragging your feet. Um, but that's kind of like how it is even in contest prep, as you get closer, a lot of times people will be like, Oh, this is the easiest part because I'm so focused on this that it I don't even feel the pain in a way. Um, you know, kind of like embrace the suffer, I guess. So that's that's kind of cool. You said that. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. no, I agree with it hundred percent. I think that's the biggest actually the one of the bigger contributors of everything is just having the drive just stripped from you now. And I feel like that's one of the biggest if there's a way to take that energy and that focus and like bottle it up and give it to people after the show. <laughs> like, like, Hey, you get a hundred pills of energy and focus and you're going to use 60 of them before the show. You can use 40 of them after <laughs> like, like that would be like the best, that would be like the best thing ever. Cause that's what I run into as a coach is just like you said, I get ghost coached, get ghost coached, right. Uh, where they compete and like, yeah, okay, we're going to do this. And, and I like to tell everyone, okay, let's think of your prep, not as a 16 week prep, Let's think of it as the additional six weeks or so we're going to go in that post-show diet. So a 22-week prep and start wrapping your head around it being like a 22-week prep because things can go awry really quickly after the show because you're set up in a way where your body will just store body fat really, really quickly. If you just stop working out, stop doing as much cardio, start eating a, 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 even just a little bit more, it'll come on you really, really quick. And people don't kind of get that. And then they go through that initial phase. This is what always happens. They go through that initial three weeks of the post-show blues, right? Where they're like, ah, I just don't really want to work out right now. I'm not feeling the motivation. Like the why is not there. And then by the time they come back, it's like frantic state. It's like, oh, I put on, I put on 15 pounds already. It's only been three weeks. I put on whatever, 20 pounds. It's been six weeks. And now I need to get this off of me. And now I'm in a state where my metabolism and hormones aren't fully corrected yet but I already put on the weight and now I want to get it right back off. And so now I think the solution is do more cardio and diet again when my metabolism isn't where it needs to be. My hormones aren't where they need to be. And now I'm freaking out because the weight's not coming off of me. <laughs> and now It's this whole spiral. And you're like, it started with you just being good after the show. Like if you were to just be good for, you know, 30 days after the show, like you'd be in a totally different spot. And now you essentially have to do the post-show diet while you've already gained 20 pounds, get the hormones correct, you get the metabolism while you gained already gained the 20 pounds. Because we can't just start dieting now because everything's corrected. And so this puts people in a worse spot um, mentally. And it's, I would say it's a, it's a large percentage of competitors that, that this happens to. I mean, you've, I don't know, how many times have you dealt with this? I mean, it must be a common thing that you're dealing with, with with your stuff all the time, right? You mean with my clients or myself as a competitor? Uh, clients. 
Yeah. With my clients, it's consistent. I would say I've like my food relationship free series alone, over a thousand people. I've done that. And that's, that's just the food relationship side. And then when you're talking about actually supporting people, it's, it's consistently present in competitors. And it's also, I think due to expectations, like people are still expecting themselves to be that gung ho version of themselves in prep. And while you can expect greatness and you should expect excellence from yourself, and I wouldn't tell you not to, I think we also have to be realistic with those expectations post-show your body's been through a lot. You've demanded a lot of yourself. You just achieved something really, really amazing and, and should be happy about that and celebrating it, but be so clear with what your intentions are post-show that there isn't any room for doubt or question between you and your coach. If you know you have a vacation in two weeks after your show, that should be communicated to your coach before you even prep. Or if you know that you want, or you would maybe have better experiences if you were incorporating a bit more flexibility early on, communicate that. Because what we see happen is I should be perfect like I was on prep. And then they go into their improvement season. They do one thing that they don't think is perfect or coach approved or industry approved. And then they judge themselves for it. And it spirals into I'm not good enough. I didn't do what I'm supposed to do. I'm not as great as so-and-so is. And I need to be better. And that's when I think you see a lot of that disconnect happen where people stop wanting to show up because they're we're critical as competitors. We're very critical people. We want to grow. We want to improve. We're driven to do that. So when we aren't performing in a way that lets us do that, we're going to judge ourselves for it. And unfortunately that criticism is not commonly turned into compassion for ourselves, which it needs to be. But when we take a compassionate approach, we're able to relieve a lot of that stress and instead have better communication skills, have a better outcome that we're working towards and specific goals. We know after this show, I have Adam for six weeks continued from here, but I know the expectation is this, this, and this, and he knows that he can expect that of me too. But then we go a step further and we say, what could stop me from achieving this? Well, the decline in drive, the decline in desire. So now what do I do to combat these sabotages? The problem is people want to pretend like there won't be any roadblocks or problems for them. So then they ignore the fact that things could come up. And then when those things come up, they're like, I don't know what to do. Well, we need to think about those things that could happen prior to them actually happening. Interesting. My question for you is, do you find that more people downward spiral if they are the perfectionist type? Because once you do go into that off season, that does allow for a little more looseness, right? Um, Not as strict. And just like you said, there's like maybe one small little mistake and then it just, they get down on themselves and they're disappointed in themselves and one thing turns into another. So do you find that that's usually the type that gets it the worst? Oh yeah. No, you're spot on with that. Cause like the all or nothing thinking or perfectionism is in technical terms, a cognitive distortion. So it can lead to those types of behaviors of spiraling. Cause we're not, we're, we're not able to exist in a gray area. We only know an extreme and another extreme. So when you have a competitor who's only gotten a positive result going to an extreme, suddenly trying to experience some sort of maintenance or some sort of growth without going to another extreme, it's, it's weird to them. It's like, I don't know what, 
what do I do? How does this work? But that's because they've crafted this story. I believe they've crafted this story in their mind that prep looks this way. Improvement season looks this way. So it's going to be a pendulum instead of seeing it as my lifestyle is this. Sometimes as an athlete, I'm working towards the stage. Sometimes it's improvement season and knowing what those intentions and expectations are for both of those. Mm, Okay. So for post-show blues, um, I kind of want to touch on this kind of topic as well. So maybe not even the things that you said would go into post-show blues, but in addition, perhaps like body image as well, like, cause you're not going to be stage lean, right? All year round, especially when you go into your off season. So do you find that there's also competitors that just from that alone, seeing their body change, that kind of gets them down and maybe a little bit depressed because they're used to seeing their body nice and crispy (laughs) and now it's just a little bit softer for sure yeah crispy's a cute word for that lean Lean, crispy you know (laughs) yeah so over time like you're seeing your body get leaner and leaner and you're gonna see the competitors lifting up their shirt every time they walk by a mirror snapping a selfie every single time they look at their body um any moment they get to flex at the gym maybe they're flexing they're practicing they're posing every day so now their mind is um, seeing a new image and body image is your perception of your body how you see it how it is in photos how you think other people see it as well and how you feel and experience within your body so body image is not just how we see it but also how we experience it so if we've had all these experiences in a leaner body of like this is awesome i'm feeling hype i'm working towards this goal everyone's cheering for me they all want support and advice that's all very positive that feels good Then the moment they see something that doesn't look like that, what happens is it's like a red flag. It's like, okay, well, now I'm not going to get that reinforcement. I'm not going to get that validation. Or I'm not as good anymore because I don't have these lines. I don't have these veins. I don't have these striations. So plus, I mean, we are in a sport where we're being judged for our physique. So we're studying the physique. We're studying the criteria. And then we're constantly comparing. I'll do this at events. I'll ask the people there. I'm like, How many of you know where the best selfie spot is in your gym, know the best angle that you have on your physique and know exactly where the lighting should be to get that perfect shot, right? Like most people know that most people can say, yep, I I totally know what my best sides are because that's what you focus on. And then I'll say, well, what's the first part of your body you look at when you look in the mirror? Anyone who's a bikini competitor is saying waist. And then they're saying shoulders and glutes. That's it. Why? Because that's what we're judged on. So body image is going to be influenced in this sport regardless, because we are working towards that. But you add on top of that, the fixation. And as soon as you don't see it, you're like, well, that's not me anymore. And then that challenges the identity. And then you're like, well, now I'm just going to act like this version of me who's fat and no longer an athlete, even though you're bloated or you overate, you know, on a meal. And now you can reel it in and, and come back to reality. But it's that all or nothing thinking. I think that sends people the other way. Mm. So how can you mentally prepare yourself ahead of time, knowing that, Hey, I'm eventually going to get a little bit, even if I keep it together, good. I'm eventually going to get a little bit softer in the off season. If you know, you're prone to viewing yourself like in a super crispy way, (laughs) how do you mentally prepare for that? That's a good question. I, again, I'm very much in that proactive state of mind too. So when you're in your prep, limit your body checking. 
Or if you do body check, make sure that prior to body checking or prior to any check-in with your coach or weighing in or taking measurements, posing sessions, anything related to that, reinforce the actions you've been taking that have positively been impacting your life. Mm -hmm. So reinforce how your meal prepping has been supporting you. Reinforce how your workouts have been making you feel. Reinforce the conversations you've been having with the people around you, the boundaries you've been able to set. Focus on those process-oriented behaviors and then celebrate the outcome that's coming from it. Because we know as competitors that, or we need to accept as competitors that being stage lean, especially these days with the expectations of conditioning, that is not a comfortable place to be walking around day to day. And there's a reason we bring it to the stage and not prior or too far prior, right? Like we're trying to get ready for show day. So when you're competing, you have to keep in mind, what am I doing day to day? That's actually creating this negative association with my body post show. And then also what types of validation am I accepting that's coming externally alone? So that would be my second tip is try to create meaning and purpose behind your body and what you're doing outside of how it looks. So when you're performing really well in the gym, because maybe you lost the weight you've been wanting to lose or needing to lose, or you drop that excess fat that came from your last improvement season, instead of saying, oh, I look so amazing. I'm so like, this is gonna, no, instead let's take a step back and say, wow, I'm really proud of myself for how I've shown up. I'm really feeling good because now I can run further or I can sprint harder or I can execute and, and lift heavier, or I have more endurance when I'm lifting. So I'm able to put more into my workouts, reinforce the performance side of it too. So we can actually celebrate those results and that success. And then the only other thing I would recommend, at least for now in this realm is being careful of where those beliefs are coming from about how your body should look or might look because most people will get online or they'll watch the shows and they'll just compare themselves to every athlete that they see. And while comparison can be beneficial as a guide to what we can be working towards as athletes and we need a target to aim for, it doesn't give us the full picture. There's a lot of people who can look that way while also binging every week. There's a lot of people who won't tell you that they've been doing extra cardio or um, they don't like themselves or they take a medication that you don't know about. So we have to be mindful of respecting other people's journeys before we compare our own to theirs and know that it's going to be different. So even if they only gained five pounds in the first month and you maybe gained seven pounds, it doesn't mean you're a worse competitor or worse athlete because you don't know what their process or their mentality or their history has been. Right. I agree. Cause even some of my competitors, we all have like different off seasons and gain different amounts of weight. So I'm going to ask the same question to you, Adam. So how do you prepare an athlete letting them know, Hey, in the off season, you're going to get a little softer, but there's a limit to it. So I want to hear your perspective on that because it's going to be different from like the mental side of it. Yeah. I think that the important thing is to establish what that is, right? Establish yes. what the expectation is um, because there's a, there's huge variances, right? You have athletes out there who will gain 30 pounds and do really well at shows. You have athletes like you is like the other extreme where you know, within less than 10 pounds of stage weight all the time. Um, so they, they have to find, they're, they're trying to figure out, okay, two, they obviously see, okay, two ways work, right? Which is the benefit of what? And I think we're pretty open about how we think we, we, we will err on the side of, you know, staying closer to that stage weight. 
Um, and I think people know that going into it with me too. And, there, and a lot of people that are with us will actually, that'll be a perk to them coming with us too. They're like, you know, I believe in the philosophy. I've seen it work. I've seen all of your girls. I've talked to all your girls. They're happy all the time. They, they want to be lean. They live fitness. They're not just like prepping for one show. It's a different mindset. And that's, I'm part of that mindset. I love fitness and I don't want to be this extreme yo-yo girl who does gain, you know, 40 pounds and then tries to transform into every show. So that's one of the benefits is because we do our podcasts and whatnot. We do get, we attract those people who are like, Hey, I'm, I'm fit for life. I'm not just fit for a show, <laughs> you know? So we do attract the fit for life people who are those, you know, more dedicated. And then the other thing is I say, okay, um, I'm very clear. Just there's never been a, an ounce of muscle gained because a pound of, because an ounce of fat was gained. Any excess fat gained, any fat gained, it means that you went over your daily limit of energy that you needed for that day. So it doesn't contribute to, to building muscle. So as long as you can identify that too, that excess fat doesn't contribute to building muscle. It's just excess energy past the point your body could have used that energy for muscle because it's extra or else it wouldn't be stored as fat. Then people are like, okay, that's true. So there must be a magic number. Obviously hitting that magic number every single day is impossible just because you could chew gum one day and burn more calories than the next, you know, than the last. But, um, but saying, okay, 10% above stage weight before, you know, if you cut any water or anything like that, 10% above your stage weight, if you're going to compete within the next six months, um, I usually shoot for 12%. If it's over six months for playing their next competition, I think that that's a healthy, realistic, maintainable body fat level where they're still fit. And I think that that's where things get lost is that it's, it's a strange thing to me because being fit gets lost. That's so weird to me in this sport, right? Because you'll have a girl who got, who was already fit, right? They're very fit. And they're like, I think I'm going to take this fitness, which I've been maintaining for years to the next level and do a competition, right? They do the competition and then they go to from the girl who maintained being fit for, for years to the girl that's like um, the, I guess the, not, not I wouldn't want to say like a, a fat activist girl, but like love your body in any shape that you are. I'm, I'm heavier than I've ever been. And I'm like, why did you have to go there, right? Because you could have, like you were always, you were always able to maintain being fit. So why is it different now and I think that has a lot to do with the post-show mentality that we're talking about, like the post-show blues thing that we're talking about, mm -hmm. that that gets to that level. And I think it just, it's them accepting the fact that they don't have the drive that they had before. And I don't know what happens there. I think that's a good question for you too, but that's, that's how I approach it. But then my question that stems from that is what, what happens there where now just being fit, which is what they've been able to maintain their whole life. And me saying, okay, as an athlete, I just want you to be an athlete still and be fit. Why is that a big ask for some people and not for some others. Because in other sports, you don't see that. You don't see a basketball player get ready for a tournament and he's like training like crazy, training like crazy. And then the next thing you know, after the tournament, he's just like, I'm not even playing basketball anymore, man. I'm like up 30 pounds when he shows up back to, to camp, right? And it's in perspective to these guys, these basketball players, like 180 pounds. So them, if they gained 30 pounds and came back to camp, they'd be like, dude, what did you do, <laughs> right? And they're 180 pound massive guys, right? Huge guys. 200 pounds sometimes, right? And they gain like 10 pounds, right? But our bikini competitors that are 120, they gain 30. And I'm like, and we always look at this like 30 number as a marker. And I'm like, in perspective, in like in scale, if you took a 200 pound man and gained 30 pounds, he'd be up 50 pounds showing back up to camp. What happened, right? So that's, I guess that's that long answer stemmed to another important question. Maybe you can share some insight of what happens there. What do you think is going on there with the post-show blues where, where that becomes a, 
a commonality where, you know, just they can't even maintain where they were maintaining for years with ease before. That is such a challenging question. I don't know that I would have a specific answer because I do feel like it would probably vary from athlete to athlete. Because I think some people who were living the fit life before were maintaining it, thinking that they could have more balance and thinking that they could, or maybe with that perspective of I have balance, I have my family, I have my friends, I have work, all of this is in line, but they have this, I think there's a preconceived notion that competing demands even more. So now I have to let all of that go and just focus on prep. And I think it's that, that right there, that shift is what happens. And it takes them out of, I live fitness for my lifestyle to, I am doing this for prep and nothing else matters because of that. It's perpetuated pretty heavily in the industry that you can't have balance or you can't. And when I say balance, I think balance is so reminiscent of perfectionism. So when I say balance, I mean more so you're feeling like multiple areas of your life and values are being satisfied, even if one takes precedence over the other. That's part of growth. But I think that that's what happens is those people who are living the fit life. Plus some of them weren't even doing it like a competitor. Like they weren't following a meal plan or following macros. They weren't, they didn't have the same level of structure. So I think sometimes it turns into this no longer fun lifestyle that I live into a job. And then they're told it should be like a job. And then they burn out on their job. That's what I, if I had to have an answer, I think that's what's happening is that they shift from, I'm enjoying this and I live this and I can't wait to see what I can bring to the stage to I'm enjoying this. I live this. And now I'm going to be militant about everything I do or else I'm not a successful competitor. Mm, Interesting. I want to go back to what you said earlier that a lot of people have that all or nothing mindset and very rarely is there gray areas. And I think Part of the reason why I've had success and have been able to compete multiple shows is I kind of live in that gray area sometimes. Like I'm not an all or nothing person at all. I think a lot of people are under the impression I'm like 100 percent, 365 days a year. But you know what? I take I take rest weeks. I I'm not too strict on like my I, I always say this, my skill has been broke since 2018. I don't even weigh my food. Like, you know, maybe it's for the, for the, the worse or the better, who knows, but I'm not as like rigid as people might think. And although the downside might be, I, I'm not as precise sometimes perhaps, but also the, the good side might be just, it doesn't drive me crazy. I'm just more like, I don't know, I'm fluid with it. You know, I think, I think there's a big part of that. I yeah. think there's some, there's some, um, I think there's some scale weighing fatigue. There's some Tupperware <laughs> eating fatigue. Um, it takes a lot. It takes this very special mindset to to be there, you know. And when I see, I like to watch bodybuilders a lot too, um, because they're they're the most extreme, right? They're the most extreme. And um, when you look at someone like, let's say, like a Nick Walker, he was doing this interview once about another competitor, and you could look it up. Um, and he was he was just talking about the different competitors and their potential, and he was like, yeah. I just don't think, I don't think he's going to be a good bodybuilder eventually. Like, I just don't think he has the mindset for it. And the guy's a great bodybuilder, right? The guy's a great bodybuilder he's talking about. He's like, yeah, it's just the, the difference of mindset that it takes. Like he just doesn't have it. Like it's, it's so, it's so much, but he's unbreakable. Like Nick Walker is unbreakable, right? You can, you can, he could just stick to a menu plan. He'll eat exactly what he has to eat. He'll eat at a Tupperware for the next 10 years if he has to, because he's just that guy, right? He's like super unbreakable and the gym is going to give his all, give what he needs. And so like, that's the most extreme, like he'd be like the, the you of staying lean, right. Of, of off season type of thing in terms of adherence to plan and stuff. And so it's, it's, 
good to see that because it does take that for some people. But I obviously see in bikini, you're going to run into that wall where it becomes too much if you're doing it all the time, always. And I think a lot of it too is just like even just being around family and yeah. boyfriends and, and going out, you know? I remember I, I told you a story a long time ago of a girl I was dating. She would like weigh her broccoli in oh, the off gosh. season. And I Weighing was like, broccoli in the off season. I was like, oh. I was so annoyed by it. I was like, and really? And setting alarms on the phone too. Yeah. Oh my God, time to eat. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, it was like every time the alarm was like a panic to go get food if we were like anywhere. And I was like, this is annoying. I get it if you're getting ready for the Olympian, we're six weeks out, five weeks out, but we're talking off season, you're weighing broccoli that's steamed. I'm like, if you go over a little bit, and I'm at a restaurant, you know, at a restaurant, like we go over a little oh, bit. Yeah, like we were like traveling, we were on, we were like at a beach, like traveling. And I was like, you could chill, like if it's a half a cup of broccoli, are we really gonna, are we really gonna? <laughs> Like, if that's the deal breaker, I'm sorry here, you know? But uh, this is such a funny story. We go back to that all the time. <laughs> Couldn't be me. Couldn't be me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, I think there's some fatigue that runs into it. And I do think that that comes into the whole balance thing where it becomes like work. Yeah. And I think that that's a big part of it, you know? And, and that's the thing people do. There are some people I, I try to reel them back a little bit like, hey, don't be so crazy because I know where this goes. You know, uh, Elizabeth was a good example, right? Mm -hmm. And she talked about it on the podcast, so it's not like I, I can talk about because she did. And I was like, it was great to see her realize, okay, I can do this. I can have my, you know, my my meal at the restaurant. I can eat out. I can still live that 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 balance and still, um, still be actually be on plan. You know, it's it, you know, Kimber does a great job of it too, just eating on plan while being out. I don't feel like when I'm with her that I'm in prep with her. Right. You know, which I've, I've, when I've, I've dated before, I've always felt like that. I'm like, all right, here's an, another girl prepping. Let's go and <laughs> let's go and get the Tupperware ready and be prepared and tell her, Hey, we're going to be out for four and a half hour, four hours and 35 minutes. Do you need to eat <laughs> within those, the, you know, three times or whatever in that? And it becomes a little frustrating. But I think the other thing that we, that this brings up is the definition of balance in general, you know? And I think that there's some big issues with that and i think sometimes balance is used as a justification to just eat whatever you want whenever you want and be like oh i'm just living balanced like this is healthy for me and i'm like no it's not healthy for you to be so extreme on either direction you know eating tilapia and asparagus for 16 weeks is not healthy for your mindset but then eating donuts and cake and whatever else you want for 16 weeks on the other extreme of it is also not balanced they're both not balanced like, so where, where it's true balance and are you justifying your actions in the, in the, in the guise of balance, right? So wh where does, I guess, you know, that maybe some insight on that too. We're picking your brain here a lot. I'm taking nuggets from you. This is so fun. <laughs> no, I love this because I'm learning from both of you as well. Like, I really love what you both just said about how it doesn't have to be, this is what people need to hear. It doesn't have to be this intense regimen that takes over your life. That's where I think I, when I struggled with the binge eating, when I struggled with the body image and all those post-show blues experiences up until like 2017 into 2018, that was a big reason was because I thought I had to be like that in order to be successful. And it just, it took a lot of the real intention away from it, which is to feel good, to enjoy this life, to be my best and to bring my best. So I love those perspectives. And, um, now that I've repeated what you guys said, I almost forgot where we were going with that, but you were talking about, um, the balance. So I would say that when people have this, justification pattern for their behaviors. It is a way of creating this story in their mind that 
they're allowed to do this. It's okay. They're going to be able to come back from it because they've only existed in extremes. I had, um, there was a famous influencer out there who did an all in approach. And then that took the fitness industry by storm. Right. And I could not stand that because the all in approach is exactly what you just said, Adam. It's another version of an extreme that's not healthy. And you mentioned earlier, the, um, gung ho athlete turning into the self-love advocate who is really more so preaching self-destruction. So when we are thinking about this pendulum swing, how do you go from being so diligent to the other end? I think it really is because there's a lack of balance and the justification feels good because people don't want to take personal responsibility. That is a difficult thing for people to do, regardless of what the action is or what the behavior is. It is difficult. So when we take personal responsibility for the choices that we make, we actually end up freeing ourselves. But the act of doing that is very difficult, which is why people generally resort to those justifications and those extremes because it's much easier to blame it on something other than yourself than to say maybe I had a role in this so I think if if we want to get away from justification we have to first accept that we played a role we had a prep where it was just tilapia and asparagus we played a role in that we chose to stick to that we chose that that was going to be our path even though maybe we didn't know better we didn't have another idea of what to do or we didn't take the time to educate ourselves on it we had a role in it we prepped that food we ate that food similarly if we go in the other extreme and we start eating the donuts the cookies the chips everything that doesn't make us feel or function at our best we have a role in that. We can't blame competing and say it's because I dieted for 16 weeks or 22 weeks or 52 weeks. You have to take personal responsibility for your actions if you want to be able to grow because grow. Because how can you actually celebrate yourself and your success if everything is to be blamed or as a result of somebody else? If you can't take the blame for a negative outcome, you shouldn't take the blame for a positive one either. So I do think that the justification is an unfortunate um, thing that does come from not existing in that gray area because most people just don't even know what the gray area is. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So I've got a question for both of you guys. Yeah. Obviously, food after show can be tricky. And a lot of athletes uh, experience cravings. So I'm wondering how much of those cravings are like a mental thing versus like an actual physical thing. Well, there's a, there's a, I think there's, you can handle the mental part of it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so that's, that's yeah. Because I, but the, but I do think that here's the, here's the thing, you know, there's this like term, it's kind of like a, like a crude term that people use all, all throughout prep called food P right. Food P that they, food P well, food, P -E -E. I'm trying not to say the whole word because, uh, Okay, food porn. People always say food porn. Oh, oh no, sorry. we're going to get censored. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, no. <laughs> like, I'm, oh, I'm okay. if you have kids, cover their ears. Christian conservative Adam. Okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, you know, people, they, they like save all these things on their, on their phone. Like they're like just scrolling food and scrolling food and scrolling food and they, they file it and they save it. And they're like, I'm going to have this, I'm going to have this, I'm going to have this. And then they buy all these foods and then they save them for after the show. And I think that they like build this up so much in their head. And I guess this is probably more of the psychological, but still in your, your, some of your, I like, I like where you're going with it. Take because, it away. Yeah. They, they build it up in their head. Like, Oh, this is going to be so good. This is going to be so good. And, and I can't, I'm not going to knock anyone. Cause I've done it myself. Not the, not the collecting of uh, Instagram pictures and all that stuff, whatever, but like just eating a lot after the show and you build it up in your head that it's going to be so good. Right. 
And in reality, it's, it's so fast, you know, it's so, it's so fast. Like eating a donut is so fast. It's crazy. Like when you think about the time, right? It's like, what does it take to eat a donut when you're hungry and you haven't had it in a long time? A minute? Like maybe, right? It's like, it's fast. Maybe. Like a, a donut, I could, I could do a donut yeah. in 30 seconds if I needed to. If I was like really hungry and like dying for food, which is how the competitors act after the show. Right. They're like, I'm starving. And I'm like, no, you're eating more than a large population of the world who's having a hard time eating today, even when you're dieting, you know? You're fine. <laughs> like, what do you, you're, and they're like, like, they act like eating healthy, which is what you're doing when you're dieting. You're just eating healthy, right? They're like, that they're so deprived. I'm like, are you that first world where you eating chicken and rice and broccoli or whatever is to you considered sacrificing? Cause that's crazy. You're, you're eating health food and that's bad. Like, that's where it goes, right? This is where the, the mentality starts, starts spiraling and they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm giving up so much. I'm sacrificing. I'm like, why? Cause you're eating the way you're probably all of your ancestors ate. <laughs> like, like literally there was nothing else available, but because you're doing that now and you're not eating this stuff, you're not supposed to be eating. Now you're this, you know, victim of prep and, and it's virtuous for you to, to eat chicken. Like, I don't understand it. Right. Like that's how we're supposed to eat really. So, um, anyway, I feel like they build it up and then it's like, they, they don't think about what it's doing. Right. The, the two minute donut is an hour cardio, right? The, and then that goes into more and more and more. And now it's days and now it's it, what it's the taste versus what it's doing to your body is just, I don't think that there's a connection there. And I think that that gets so disconnected that they just, they get lost in it and they don't realize it until it's too late. And, but everyone, just so you guys are out there listening, everyone realizes it. <laughs> it's just a matter of when for you, right? Whether it's me where I'm like, okay, I'm not the leanest guy right now. I'm, I'm healthy fit. I'm happy with where I'm at. I'm going to have one donut like a month, right? That's where I'm like, okay. And even that day, I'm like, all right, make sure I'm, did my, I did enough today to like kind of justify, I kind of like give myself that okay, did I do enough today? Did I do my, my whatever sessions and then my workout on top of it? And then I'm like, all right, I can have the donut today. I, I've done enough, right? I've, I've had enough less calories. So, but these, these girls that realize it when they're like 20 pounds up there, it's, it's, you know, at that point it's like, oh, sorry, <laughs> it's there's, you've realized it too late. Right. So anyway, there's, there's that part of it. And I think that it's really built up and they save it and they have those foods, but there is an actual, you know, leptin girlin response where your body is telling you you're hungry and you're not, and body's not telling you you're full like it used to. So my answer to that is usually introduce proteins in higher amounts post-show. You know, if you're eating three ounces of protein, you know, and um, we're trying to, to raise your calories up, of course, on your reverse diet, which we talked about over the weekend. We're trying to raise your calories up on the reverse diet, but we're not trying to, you know, raise your calories all the way crazy up. We're just trying to get you to maintenance calories. And if you, a lot of those foods, if you're having a hard time, introducing higher amounts of protein really helps keep you satiated. So have water, have your higher protein. It's really hard to store protein as fat. Um, and, and that should solve most of the problem, but yeah, you know, have a meal, have things, but just watch, I would say, watch, watch the mentality and know what's going to happen. Know that you're not going to realize it, but every, you are going to realize it eventually. So what are your take on that? I feel like I go on tangents on these things. What is your take on that? Dude, I'm a tangent girl too. So <laughs> it's a, whenever you go on your tangents, I'm like, phew, not just me. Like I, <laughs> I definitely know we're both tangent people. So um, I really enjoyed your tangent and the beginning of that I would agree with. So I would add to that as far as like the cravings and those urges and then the intense like need to satisfy it right then and there um, is also coming from a lack of mindfulness 
this throughout a prep. It's just this autopilot mode. People go on eating those really amazing foods that we're having Thanksgiving, like every meal almost, you know, and yet we don't take the time to really enjoy it and be grateful for this opportunity to nourish our body or to actually manipulate our food to get to a particular point. So there's definitely that perspective. And then by not being mindful when you're eating, you're creating a habit or a pattern of, I don't think about what I put in my mouth. So regardless of what the food is, this is now a pathway that you're forming between you and your food decisions, which is why I'm very heavy on the intensive work to create mindfulness-based eating strategies for competitors. Because if we don't think about why we're actually eating what we're eating, how is it serving our body? What are the benefits to this food from a goal perspective, not just the stage, but other goals too? then we're going to get out of our show prep and we're never going to think about the foods that we're choosing to eat. We're just going to go straight into that mode of like, I'm just going to eat what I can see, or I'm just going to eat what I want because for your whole prep, all you did was like white knuckle it, not think about it, go in autopilot mode. You didn't care for it. And then post show comes, you have a donut in front of you, you have cookies, you have all those people bringing whatever the heck they're bringing in their extra suitcase backstage and it's shoved down your throat and you don't even take a second to think. So the number one recommendation I would make is to think, be mindful. Most people tell me after they do this, it's like, I wasn't even present in my body. I wasn't even there. Why do you think that is? You weren't actually mindful. You weren't being present with the food as you were eating it. And then people will probably hear you say, oh, well, you say just go out and have a meal, but I can't do that without wanting to binge on everything or overeat. So then I would recommend to those people, like slowly incorporate those types of foods if you can and you communicate that with your coach into your day to day life. So it doesn't feel like it's this um, scarcity or one time. This is my last supper meal. This is the only time I get to eat this way. So I'm going to have as much of it as I can. I'm very much pro normalization an anti-abstinence when it comes to food. I think that it's better to add than it is to take away. Because if you tell someone like, oh, you can no longer have this anymore, they're thinking about it so much more. Because when you do have some sort of reduction in something or scarcity, it's going to increase fixation. Does it mean that we should be fixated on eating and filling our body with junky foods, processed foods, foods that don't make us feel good? No but it happens. And then you add on top of that, when we eat those foods, when we eat any foods, we are rewarded for it because it's a life sustaining behavior. So our body is telling us, thank you. Keep eating. It feels really good. It's really good for me. And then when you have those highly palatable foods, it's an even higher amount of reward for that type of eating. So it's going to create that desire. And then you have the competitors, yes, who are watching the Food Network while they do cardio or the baking shows, or they are scrolling online and following all these foodie accounts. I would say, do not do that. Unfollow. Unless there's someone in your area, right? Or something you really intend to buy and you know that you enjoy, you're not going to get any benefit from looking at the latest limited edition candy when I can guarantee you about probably 12 weeks post-show, you're not even going to be thinking about the limited edition tree. It's not even going to cross your mind. Like you're thinking about donuts every day in prep. And then you get out of your prep and you're in your improvement season. You're on a roll. You don't care about the donuts, but what we see dictates a lot of what we're thinking about. Um, There's our, RAS, our reticular activating system. So if we're, you know, someone says, look for a red car, we're going to see all the red cars, right? That's what that is. So 
when we have some messaging through commercials or through ads or through Instagram or the foodie accounts that we follow or in your cabinet or your pantry, all the yummy foods are right here, eye level and everything else is everywhere else, right? We've heard this before, but this is important for athletes to implement too. Be mindful of what is in your environment and what is what it is that you're consuming through your mentality because it will likely manifest into your behaviors. And that's not to demonize these foods or demonize those choices. I think it's actually better again to normalize these things and to incorporate them. But if, if we are so fixated on them, yes, it's going to turn into something we feel we have to demonize because we lose total control over that. Yeah. I think one of the cool things you mentioned in there is highly palatable foods. And I have one thing I've, I learned a long time ago, which I thought was always helpful to me was about, okay, why is it, why is it palatable? Right. And it was really cool. It was like a, a survival mechanism. Maybe it'll help some people out there, but it, I, I don't know if you're aware of the, the the science of that or the history of the like your your actual palate of why foods taste better than other foods and um, the signals that you're getting from the foods is 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 basically a survival mechanism that we were kind of born with. So um, you know, you got to remember, like you know, thousands of years ago, what, there was no nutrition labels. There was no idea of what was calories. Right? We had no idea how what food would sustain more life than any other food. If you're a caveman, you know, you are like, oh, this broccoli, I can eat, I can eat broccoli and lettuce and that's food, right? And you wouldn't have any, any idea of surviving and needing energy and what's more energy demands of what. So um, the theory is that these foods that you don't like the way they taste that much is because they're, you know, lower calorie dense, they're low calories in them. And you're, and when you get something that has a lot of sugar, a lot of calories or a lot of fat, a lot of calories, your body's like, oh, like that's, I need more of that. That's what's going to get me to survive. So like you desire it more. So they're going to search for it more because they desired it more. It's kind of cool, right? So it's it like a survival cool. thing. And if, it, cause if, I mean, can you imagine you just had no idea what a calorie was and you had no idea what you just knew what food was period. That's such a weird, it's a weird concept. Like eliminate everything you know about food and then go tell me which one's going to sustain life better. You wouldn't know. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't instantly think, Oh, the, the pumpkin seeds over there, are better for me than the broccoli. Like, how would you decide that? You know, how would you defer that? So, um, yeah, taste is what kind of guided people to eat more calorie dense foods. And probably the reason for many of us even being here today because of, uh, you know, generations past people realized that, that, uh, you know, some, some sort of coconuts tasted better than leaves, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, isn't that crazy? What a, so it's, yeah. it, it's good to think about that. I like to think about, you know, whys the whys of, um, you know, how we're designed when it comes to taste. Okay. Why does this taste so good to me? Why do I want this so much? Okay. My ancestors and my palate are just telling me I needed more of this because it sustained life, but I'm not in that situation anymore. <laughs> like I am in a, I am in a very good spot in life where I could open a refrigerator versus chasing down a Buffalo for six weeks. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's a, it's a, it's a different world we're living in. I don't need that, that mechanism right anymore, that instinct anymore. So yeah, I don't, maybe that'll help a couple people out there, but I think it's pretty cool. No, definitely. And actually to add to that as well, like when we are eating now, because we generally, most of us who are in this lifestyle, especially we have the abundance of choice. And so when we have an abundance of choices, it generally actually reduces satisfaction. So we're going to, especially if you have like so many different options around you to choose from, it's sometimes harder to make that choice, right? Cause you're, and then you make the choice and you're thinking about the other choice you could have made. So we have an abundance of food 
we have an abundance of resources. And so now instead of it being about survival, it's almost about enjoyment and getting the most for what we have and getting the most out of what we have because we don't want to fear having made the wrong choice. And to kind of segue into a topic, if it's okay, um, I see this a lot with volume eating. So you, you see a lot of competitors who are like, I'm, I want to get the most bang for my buck when it comes to calories or macros. So I'm going to fill this bowl with all the fat free, sugar free, low carb options. And they actually are filling their body with things that aren't as good for them, but because it's more volume and they think they're getting more bang for their buck and it's going to be maybe less psychologically demanding to uh, overcome urges to binge that maybe or overeat coming from hunger or coming from feeling less than satisfied, uh, it becomes a habit, the the volume eating. And I think that's another thing that competitors need to be mindful of before going into post-show experiences is how often are you volume eating in your prep? Because that need, not only should it be reduced from a physique standpoint, but it should also be reduced for and a function standpoint, but also because it's going to then be harder post-show when you're slowly increasing those calories to feel full because your entire prep, you felt like I have to be constantly full all the time in order to be satisfied. We have to understand our hunger fullness levels. So we're not going from I'm so hungry to I'm so full to I'm so hungry meal to meal. And instead finding again, that middle ground where we're able to function in multiple areas of life, perform in the gym, perform in those maybe work or your family, whatever it is, and feel really good and feel satisfied by the food. So that again, brings the mindfulness into it. When you're tasting the food, taste it. What is the experience you're having? That's going to be so much more satiating to connect with your senses than to just fill yourself with volume junk food because you can, and it fits. I have a question. So this is somewhat on that topic. I have a theory and I don't know if it's legit or not. <laughs> so the way I think of prep, um, I always say like, if I'm not hungry, like I, I probably won't eat, um, like that last meal or whatever, even though it's on my plan, depending on what the goal is. Now, if I'm like way too lean and I'm like a week out from a show, yeah, I still got to eat, but I prefer not to do that because in my mind, I'm like someday, well, maybe even the off season, I'm, I'm so in the habit of eating when I'm not hungry that I feel like it creates a little bit of a bad habit because believe it or not, we're all going to be normal people one day. Right. And you know, I don't want to ever think like, oh, it's, um, I got to eat just because I have to, it's three, you know, whereas like, I think it's somewhat healthy sometimes to recognize like, okay, okay, I'm hungry. I can eat like the hunger cues. Cause sometimes, you know, depending on the volume of the food, maybe you don't get as hungry. So of course the situ, it has to be situational depending on where I am in prep, you know, but sometimes I'd rather just be like, well, I'm not hungry. I just go to bed, you know, rather than kind of force feeding myself in a sense, because I don't think that's a healthy habit to develop is just force feeding yourself just because. I love that so much. That's such a great point because we do see a lot of the times competitors get into the, that zone of uh, autopilot. Like yeah. they're not thinking about how their body actually feels and it does create that type of habit post-show as well. And I think what you're describing is a great example of being in tune throughout your prep too. So for example, if you're noticing it's hard to get down six meals a day, talk to your coach about what it might look like to have four meals, or maybe it's hard for your schedule to so pay attention to that. Or if your hunger cues before that were always on a 
three meal schedule, it's going to take some time before that starts to change anyways, because your body is creating this. Okay. Now it's time to eat. Now it's time to eat when you're on a schedule. But if you ignore that and you don't create any schedule, then you should be able to listen more so to your cues and then post-show or in your improvement season. Yeah. I mean, I learned that the hard way myself. Like I was like, I have to eat all these calories and I got to get them all in. And I was ignoring how I was feeling as far as like, oh, I, this is how my body actually feels and wants. And then when I started to, I actually saw my body like go into like less stress, less inflammation, less weight gain. It got back to where I thought it needed to be because I actually honored what I was feeling. And then all these other issues kind of revealed themselves to me because I was willing to step back and listen to my body. So I think it's great to practice that in prep and in your improvement season, as you said, under, you know, circumstances and probably with your coach's support too, because, um, you know, your coach probably wants that data as well. But yeah, if you can do it and you can communicate that confidently, I think that that's always a great thing to do is listen to your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, uh, boredom eating is a thing. And especially if like you're in the habit of just eating just because the calories are there. I, I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily the best mindset to take with you in the off season, like feeling like you have to force feed yourself, you know? So sometimes I don't have the biggest appetite. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a micro stomach. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like 1700 calorie off. She's like, it's so much food. So, um, with this, you know, obviously we're gonna be wrapping up here soon. What, um, what things would you want to mention to anyone who's kind of, you know, getting ready for the off season? A lot of people are getting ready for the off season right now, you know? Um, what are some things that you would like to mention on, on your side without, you know, obviously us keep probing you for more and more information. <laughs> uh, what are I some like things the probing. <laughs> it's, I like to learn a little bit. I use it, I use it, you know, in my day to day after we go through these, go through these talks, you know, you've made me more sensitive since the first time we've talked, right? He's more oh twice already. You know? Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're like more different. Like not in a not that I thought you were worse before. I think yeah. you were really amazing before. I think you're just more even amazing now. Like you even a lot of the clients that we share they report to me and it's a different report than yeah. what it used to be. Like, it's so much more like Adam's so sensitive and understanding and he's <laughs> validating me. And I'm like, is Kimber behind the, no, <laughs> I think I used to take my, you know what I used to do? I think it was just because of my sports growing up. I had like the, you know, I played the, I played the worst sports to go into this, you know, it was like the toughest tough guy sports. It was like wrestling, hockey. Like it was like this, like, and the coaches are like, toughen up, you know, like you get like a, unless you were broken where you physically couldn't do anything, they're just like, toughen up. It's hockey. It's supposed to be like that. You know, like, what do you, you know, like, unless you physically, or I had my face like taped shut once and still kept playing the game. Cause it's like, if I didn't, I'd be weak, you know? So it's like, you take that mentality and then you take it to some like bikini competitor. <laughs> you're like, of course it's supposed to be hard. <laughs> it's prep. What'd you choose it for? You know, that was like <laughs> the old Adam, you know? Now I'm like, okay, I get that it's hard. Like, you know, but the wrestling part of it was like, you know, you just, you just don't eat. You got to make weight. It is what it is. You know, like, yeah, I'm three pounds overweight. Sorry, I guess I'm not eating for two days. Like, that's just how it was, you know, but it's just not normal, you know, but when you, you, you take that and you kind of go into a sport and you're doing well at that sport with coaching people. You just kind of are like, just follow the plan, you know? But so that was, uh, what was that seven years ago, Adam? Now I'm like, okay, how do we change it to make it work for you? And yeah. like, I've learned a lot because of, because of this and being more, um, I don't know the word more, having more compassion, more compassion. There you yeah. go. More compassion and yeah. really understanding what the true 
that I was extreme and that wasn't the norm, I think is what the, I think is the, really the thing was. I thought that, I thought I was norm baseline and everyone else, like, the, the, but it was really, it's truly was extreme and everything else that wasn't that was weaker, right? But that's definitely not the case. It was just the the mindset that, that I had because of what I had to do, you know? So anyway, yeah. So, so thank you for that, opening my eyes to this. And uh, it's been a few no. years of development, you know, and I'm getting, maybe I'm just getting older. I'm like softer now. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you, you are courageous for being open to growth. And I can say the same thing. You guys have both taught me a lot and you've given me perspective. Cause I think last time I was on your podcast, I was going through a lot in my personal life. Like I had just experienced extreme loss and everything in my life was responding to that, including my body, despite my best efforts. And I felt like, I got to learn from you guys that there are some, there are different circumstances too, right? And there's always excellence to strive for. And it's important to know that that can be done in different ways. So to go to your question about the post show and what else I would recommend to competitors as a lot of them are going into their improvement season. If you're currently in a prep and you're, you know you're about to go into a growing season, I highly recommend you discuss with your coach what those expectations and intentions likely are going to be so you can start priming your mentality for that. I would then recommend that you make a list of all the current habits that you have right now in prep that actually make you feel really, really good. Like they make you feel positive. They add value to your life. And there's something that you want to continue, but we're not looking at it from a prep perspective. We're looking at it just from a life perspective. So if you can write down like, you know, it makes me feel good to prep my meals on Sundays and Wednesdays. And this is why it actually helps my life in this way. I'm more organized at work. I don't have any reason not to have my foods, whatever it might be, or I'm going to the gym or I'm, I'm waking up early for cardio in the morning. Sure. Maybe you're not going to be doing an hour, right? You need to let your body come to a place where it can respond in the future, but maybe it feels good to go for a 10 minute walk in the mornings moving forward. So identify what habits you have that you want to continue because they make you feel good from a life perspective. And then I would say important note here is know that this is not forever. So know that what you're doing in your prep isn't going to be something you should necessarily expect from your body into your improvement season, as in you're not going to keep, you might, you might, but you're probably not going to keep getting leaner. Um, at least, you know, initially you might, but after some time you won't. And accept what you can expect is something that I always like to share with my clients. If you can expect that post-show, you're bringing up food, and as a result of that, your body's going to start to change with it, then you can start to accept those changes. It's when you expect a result that's not really aligned with the actions being taken that we create a lack of acceptance for it. And then finally, you know, we already gave some really great tips throughout this episode, so definitely implement those things. But the last thing I would recommend is be mindful of how you're speaking about yourself your body and your choices in this last bit of your prep. If you are constantly saying, no, I can't because of prep or, oh, well, I look amazing because I'm on prep or some, I hate this. I'm so depleted. I'm tired. I don't want to be doing this anymore. Be mindful of how you're talking about this process because it's going to influence how you think about your next process. So consider changing your perspective. So if you're talking about yourself as an athlete only in regards to the outcome, start talking about yourself as an athlete in regards to the process. You're going to need that after your show. 
if you are talking about food only because you're in prep, start talking about food for the many reasons that actually supports your health or the way that you can focus or the way that you show up in your life. And then if you're talking about your body only in regards to how shredded you are, how lean you're getting or how you know, how many veins you've got, although that's fun and it's important to celebrate, make sure we're also talking about the way our body is functioning, performing and feeling, because those are the things that are going to be able to be consistently replicated in every season. It is not the outcome that's consistently replicable throughout each season. It is the process that you're doing. So I would highly recommend transforming the thoughts that you're having to be process oriented over outcome. So when your time comes post-show and you've implemented everything else we've talked about, you're having an easier time because this now has so much more meaning than just prep. Very well said. Yes, very well said. And I think with that, guys, we're going to be ending this podcast. But what I wanted to do is um, to give Celeste a shout out because she does help a lot of our athletes people who are struggling with these things post-show and you know there's sometimes where she's absolutely necessary and critical you know and I'm like you know what I need you to you know stop your prep for a little while and let's have you work with Celeste and let's get this right and then let's come back when you're in a better you know when you're better mindset whatnot so um, if people are in that phase or needing some help or just needing to be stronger in that how do they find you? Yes. So you guys can follow me on Instagram, celestial underscore fit, or go to my website, www.celestial.fit, where I have a lot of free resources as well as my services outlined there. Um, Some of the free resources actually include a post-show blues coaching series, as well as a free food relationship coaching series. Uh, Those are both psychoeducational in nature. Uh, The food series has a full video breakdown for everything, a full workbook. I mean, it's basically a coaching program, but you get to go through it yourself, see how you do, and then we can take it from there with some of the services. So that's what I would recommend. Awesome. And we'll put that in the description of YouTube as well. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'm sure we'll have you on again. You're our, is she our most, um, our, our most popular guest, like our most, I guess, She's common my favorite. Frequent? Yeah, most frequent guest is what <laughs> I, I should say. A frequent, no. No? I don't think so, no. Who would, huh? How One many, how many podcasts have you been? Yeah, probably, right? <laughs> how many podcasts have we done with you, that four? I think this three. is the fourth. I think it is, because oh, didn't we do one? So. It, it might be the third or fourth, because I know we've done some on mine, too. So oh, I'm yeah, like, that's, that's why jumbled. I'm thinking, yeah, okay. Yeah, because <laughs> I've had Ashley on mine a few times, and I've had you on mine a few times, so I'm like, okay, wait, it's getting a bit... Yeah, that's that's <laughs> probably stuff. what it is. That's probably what it is. Okay, well, we're, we'll have, I'm sure we'll have you on again, guys. Um, and then also, in the comments section below, is there some things that maybe we should have her back on for? Leave it in the comments, and we could do that on a future date, of course. And then, yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys later.